I want to start our time this morning by asking you two questions. You don't have to give me an answer. I'll give you the answer here in a few moments. But the two questions are, how did Jesus Christ commence his earthly ministry? And number two, how did Jesus Christ conclude his earthly ministry? We know that Jesus was or is God and that he chose to come to this earth and to be born of a a virgin to live a sinless life so that uh, he could provide the sacrifice for our sins that we could not pay for ourselves. And at the the age of around 30, he he spends the next three and a half years uh, doing ministry here on this earth. And to announce the beginning of his ministry, we know that he goes to the River Jordan and it is there that he commences his earthly ministry by being baptized. We know after three and a half years, then he goes to the cross and he dies there. He's buried. He rises again three days later. And then uh, he comes back and for 40 days, he walks physically on this earth to make sure that everybody understands he has bodily been resurrected. Then he goes and he's about to go back to heaven. He gathers all of his disciples together and he gives them a commandment. And this is the way he concludes his earthly ministry. Go ye therefore and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Of all the things that he could have commenced and all the things that he could have concluded his ministry with, Jesus Christ chose baptism. Now, it's kind of uh, amazing to me how that sometimes there's some extreme views that come out of this idea of baptism. And oftentimes they, they don't think about the fact that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, God, he participated in baptism. They kind of concentrate on the second half of that, uh, how that Jesus says that we need to go and baptize others. And so one of the extreme views that we find in the world today are those that believe that baptism is a really big deal because you can't go to heaven without it. The other extreme views are those that do not believe that baptism is really that big of a deal because after all, you don't need to be baptized to go to heaven. And I say that they're both half right. Baptism is a big deal, but baptism is not what we need in order to go to heaven. And so this morning, I want us to continue our series of messages on our identity crisis. And we're trying to determine what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ as outlined in scripture. Our focal passage is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I would invite someone to stand and quote that passage of scripture for us because I know we're all working on that because that's our theme passage. So somebody jump up real quick and quote that for me. Miss Pam, I'm going to bring a microphone to you, okay? Miss Pam uh, is uh, one of our dear faithful members that uh, physically is not capable of being steady sometimes because of some neurological things, but thank you very much. Who is there to harm you you if you should prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So... Always being ready. always Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who should ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with... Thank you. Gentleness and reverence. Good. 
and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, those will be, they will be put to shame. For it is better? For it is better, if God should will it so, that you should suffer for what is doing right rather than for what is doing wrong. Very First good. Peter 3, 13 through 17. Excellent. 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 We're really focusing in on verse 15 of that passage. It says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who would ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words, what's your identity? Who are you in Christ? And why are you that in Christ? What, what, what is it that you can talk to people about? Because our unashamed theme for this year, the M-E in unashamed is what's highlighted, me. How do I explain to others? How do I give an account for the hope? How do I be able to have an intelligent conversation with someone else and be able to explain to them in gentleness and reverence because I have a thoughtful explanation of who I am in Christ and what it is that I believe and to be able to dialogue with them so that the Holy Spirit can do his work through me as a result of my relationship with him and the scriptures that I'm able to share. And so we're using the Baptist faith and message as a springboard into each one of these messages. And today we come to the topic of baptism. And I want to read you what our Baptist faith and message says. It says, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it's prerequisite to the privilege of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Now, I read what our Baptist faith and message said, and I want to tell you something very, very, very important that you must understand. Baptism is not important because Baptists believe in it. Baptism is important because the Bible teaches it. We don't claim the truth of baptism because it is, in our, it is in our orthodox. We claim the truth of baptism because it is in Scripture, and out of Scripture is where our doctrine, it's where our teachings come from. It's based in Scripture, and that's why we see from this passage of Scripture what we're going to look at this morning, that baptism really is a big deal. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning, baptism. What's the big deal about baptism? And to do that, I want us to look at three characteristics about baptism. And as we walk through that together, we're going to understand why baptism really is a big deal. The first characteristic of baptism I want us to notice this morning is baptism's procedure. If you and I had the privilege, you know, we live in this day and age where, you know, Nissan is now thinking about uh, technology where your car will now communicate with your brain. It will, it will anticipate your thoughts. Not only do we have intelligent design about the cars where they're able to help us switching lane, but they're trying to come up with how your impulses will help your car understand what you're about to do and even do it a little bit quicker. You would think we'd be able to travel back in time if we can come up with something like that, but we can't. But let's just suppose possibly that we could. We could travel some 2,000 years back to the time that Jesus walked here on this earth and, and he was living amongst people. And if we were able to learn the language of that day, we would find that there was a word that was very commonly used in the, in the Greek language, in the, in the Koine Greek, the common man's language that we have in the New Testament. And it's, it's a word that talked about being dipped or being immersed or being dunked. And that word is baptizo. 
If you were to read during that period of time, you would find that there were ships that were sunk or baptizoed. There were, there were cloths, there were clothes that were dipped into dyes, dipped into water with dyes so that they could change. They were baptizoed. When kids would go to the creek and they would swim with each other, they liked to have fun by baptizoing one another, by dunking one another. One of the ancient historians even writes about a murder case that took place, and there was a man convicted of murder because he baptizoed or he dunked or he drowned another person. And so for a long period of time, this word baptizo that we find in the Greek language, it's a word that had no religious connotation. But then around the time of the first century, there's this guy that comes along by the name of John, and he begins to preach the gospel of God, saying that you must repent of your sins and believe in God in order to be able to go to heaven. And then he began to baptizo, or he began to dip people, or he began to place them underwater. And a matter of fact, it was such an integral part of his teaching that he became known as John the Baptizoer, or John the baptizer. And so we learn a lot about this procedure of baptism by studying the ministry of John. And so if you look in Mark chapter 1, there's a very amazing thing that happens. We find that Jesus Christ comes to John, John the baptizer, at the Jordan River. And in Mark chapter 1, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized, baptizoed by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. Now, the only reason that Jesus had to come up out of the water is because he was down in the water in the very first place. Then we find another interesting thing that took place in John's ministry, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 3. And it says this, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Enon and in Salim, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. Now listen to that statement there. John was baptizing in this region because there was much water there. Why did John need much water? I mean, I could take two glasses of water today and I could walk amongst each and every one of you in this congregation today and I could sprinkle you with two cups of water and that would be all the water that I would need if baptism was by sprinkling. The reason that John needed copious amount of water is because he baptizoed people. Those that came to an understanding of who God was, trusting him for eternal life, he plunged them, he dipped them, he, um, he immersed them. And so the reason that, that we have to go down into the water is Jesus went down into the water because that is the process of participating in baptism. We also learn a lot about this procedure in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, it says, He ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he was baptized. Why was it necessary? Why did they have to go down into the water? Because to go under the water, you have to be in the water. And that's exactly what Paul describes baptism as for us in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him through what? Through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk 
in newness of life. And so if you go down into the water to be buried in the water, it only makes sense that you would be placed under the water and that you would be baptizoed as was the practice that John the baptizer participated in. So history very clearly teaches us what that word means. The New Testament very clearly teaches us what this word means. Baptizo, it means to be fully immersed. That's a procedure of baptism. Now let's talk about the second characteristic, and that is the participants in baptism. Who is it that's supposed to participate in baptism? Now, this might come as a surprise to you. I'm not really sure. But in the New Testament, without exception, the only people that were ever baptized were those that had proclaimed their belief in Jesus Christ. That's the only type of baptism that we find. And so if we go back to the New Testament, it's something that comes very interesting to me. As a kid growing up, I would always hear preachers say, come down the aisle and profess your faith in Jesus Christ. That's not the way that they did it in the New Testament. They never told a person to come down the aisle and profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because they didn't have churches in the New Testament. There was no aisle for them to walk down. What a person did is they would profess their faith in Jesus Christ by participating in believer's baptism. That was John's message. He was repent and be baptized. Confess your sins and then profess your confession of Christ as Savior by participating in believer's baptism. And there's two things that always go together in the New Testament. In the New Testament. They, they go together just like peanut butter and jelly, right? You, you really can't have one without the other. And that is very simply belief and then you have baptism. Peanut butter, jelly, belief, and then you have baptism. And again, it's not because that's what Pastor Gavlin is saying. It's not that because our Baptist faith and message said. It's because God's word. And if you've not been on this journey, this is where we started. We started with the authenticity of scripture. And then we looked at who is God? Who is God the Father? Who is God the Son? Who is God the Spirit? We look now at this idea of baptism, all from the authority of Scripture, not from a denominational lens that helps us understand why it is that we believe that. So listen to some passages of Scripture in the Bible that talks about how that belief always comes before baptism. When Peter preached the gospel story of Jesus Christ at Pentecost, recorded for us in the book of Acts, it says this, So then, those who had received the word... Those who had believed the word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. When Philip preached in Samaria, and he preached the Bible, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. Then, then when Philip was taken to the wilderness to have that conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch that I read to you just a few moments ago in Acts chapter 8, it says, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me? What stops me? What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. In Caesarea, Peter is preaching to a group of Gentiles. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. As a result of this, this was Peter's comment. Surely no one can refuse the water. 
No one can refuse the baptism to these who have received the Holy Spirit. Well, when do we receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment that we believe, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He takes residence inside of us because the book of Ephesians chapter one says he seals us until the day of redemption. So he's saying here, we're seeing that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And as a result of their belief in the Holy Spirit, then he orders them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When Paul and Silas were being held as prisoners in Philippi because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says about midnight, they were locked up and they were in chains and, and they were singing hymns and they were, they were praying to God and a great earthquake took place and their chains fell off and the prison doors swung open wide and, and they're about to, to, to be able to walk out. And so the, 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 the prison uh, warden, the head of the prison system comes in and he's about to kill himself. And they said, stop, don't do that. We're still here. And as a result of their testimony through their praying and praising and, and in everything giving thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. He noticed there was something different about them. And in Acts chapter 16, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? What must I have in order to have eternal life? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and all your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately they were baptized. Why were they baptized? Because they had believed. Do you sense an emerging theme here? Belief, baptism. Belief, baptism. Sunny and share. Peanut butter and syrup. You put whatever thing you like there. It's the two that go together. You cannot have the one without the other. And listen to me very, very carefully. The Bible does not teach that you must be saved through baptism. What it does teach is that baptism is an act that you will participate in as a result of your salvation. It doesn't matter where it is a, a a truckload of water or whether it is a little bitty thimble full of water that somebody touches you. There is only one liquid that will save you and it's not water, but it's recorded for us in first John 1 17. The blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. A person is never baptized in order to be saved. A person is baptized as a result of their salvation. That's why we don't participate in infant baptisms. You would never take an infant and place a wedding ring on an infant's finger and say, one of these days you're going to get married and we want to go ahead and give you your ring. An infant doesn't place a ring on their finger until they find the one that is their beloved and they confess their love for that one. And as a result of that, then that grown person puts their own ring on their finger. A parent does not do that. So therefore, it would not make any sense to do that for a child. That's the procedure of baptism. Let me share with you the third characteristic and that it's its purpose this morning. There's two words I want to share with you today that I believe succinctly help us understand the purpose of baptism and why baptism is a big deal. And the first word I'll share with you is the word identification. The word identification. Think about this with me for a moment. Why was Jesus baptized? 
Jesus commenced his earthly ministry by going to the Jordan River, going down into the water. John the baptizer baptizes him. He comes up out of the water and God the Father, the heavens open up and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Why in the world would Jesus, we know Jesus is God. Jesus did not need to be saved. Jesus did not to have to have forgiveness of, or, of his sins or he would not have been the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So why would Jesus be baptized? Because Jesus was choosing to identify himself with you and I. He was choosing to show us that he became man just like you and I. And he was setting an example of what we are to do if we choose to accept his invitation to become a follower of him. So when Jesus goes into the water and he's baptized, he's saying, I want to identify with you as your savior. And when we go into the water and we are baptized, we are identifying with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are identifying ourselves as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul's teaching in Romans chapter six. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the, to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism is our identification. It's how we are identifying with the fact that we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That passage of scripture that John says, he is the lamb of God. That's a direct article in the Greek language and it's pointing to one specific thing. Jesus is the one and only lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life and no one comes to the father but through him, we are identifying ourselves to the fact that he died, was buried, rose again the third day. And because he rose again, it was proof positive that he is the only way to eternal life. That is our identification. The second word I'll share with you this morning is the word advertisement. Identification and advertisement. I think about the little boy that went to children's church one Sunday morning and he's there and they're uh, preaching the gospel. And that morning he asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart to be a savior. And so the leaders of children's church said, listen, when church is over, you need to go to the pastor and tell him what happened. And he said, okay, I will. So the church ends and man, he runs into the worship center and the pastor's down front and he's waiting in line as people are talking. He finally gets up to him and says, pastor, I want to tell you what happened to me. And he said, okay, what happened? He said, I asked Jesus into my heart today and today I want to be. And he could not come up with the word baptized. And finally he looked at the preacher and said, today I want to be advertised. And that's exactly what baptism is. That's exactly a good understanding right there. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way to eternal life. And the next step in obedience to what you are to do is to advertise to the world that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. On the 26th of August, Lane and I will have been married for 30 years. That evening, as we stood uh, before her dad at the Antioch Baptist Church in Slagle, Louisiana, he asked us both, he said, will you make a vow to each other? Yes. Do you promise to love, honor, cherish 
Do you honor to do you do you do you do you vow to mutually submit to each other? Do you promise to make a commitment that no matter what happens in your life, you will remain united until death and death alone parts you? And we said, absolutely, we will. At that moment, we were married. At that moment, we were sealed for all of eternity. At that moment, there was no separating. I had been saved at the age of seven. Lena had been saved at the age of six. As a result of our understanding of who Christ was into our life, we understood that Ephesians chapter 5 says that husbands are to love their wife as Christ loved the church, and wives are supposed to come underneath the headship of their husbands as unto the Lord. We understood that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, As a result of this union that's taking place, you're going to build a home and children you are to obey your parents because it is the only promise that has any kind of understanding that it's going to come with some kind of fulfillment. Obey your parents and your days will be long upon the earth. What we also understood is that in that chapter 5, it says, because your marriage that you're now creating, husband and wife, covenant relationship, never-ending relationship, is also giving us a picture of the mystery. The mystery of Christ's love for his church. The fact that Jesus Christ came and gave himself up. And when he said, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And he says, when you accept that, I will never break that covenant relationship. I will never divorce you. I will never walk away from you. We stood before her dad and he said, is that the vow that you're making today? In better or worse, sickness and pain, rich or poor, no matter what, are you making that commitment today? And we said, absolutely. At that moment, we were married. And then he says, will you advertise it? In other words, Galen, do you have a ring to place on Lena's finger? Lena, do you have a ring to place on Galen's finger? And in that placing, you're saying... We are off the market. We are advertising to anyone and everyone. We are no longer shopping. We have found our true love. We have found my beloved one. And as a result, we are married. Now, I can take that ring off at any time I want and stick it in my pocket. And guess what? I'm still married. This ring does not marry me. This ring is the identification of a commitment that I made in my heart. And that is exactly what baptism is. At the moment that I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I have committed to the eternal covenant relationship. And the Bible says, what can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. And then there's this moment that I stand up in front of my friends and I stand up in front of my family and I stand up in front of my church. I stand up in front of Satan and I say, hey, Satan, I'm off the market. I now belong to the beloved. Remember what, G, what God said when his, when his son came up out of the water? This is my what? My beloved in whom I am well pleased. Satan, I have a beloved now. I'm off the market. You no longer have any place in my life. Now what I understand in a group like this when I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you and we're talking about baptism, what's the big deal? We talk about it's, it, it's procedure, and we talk about its participant, and we talk about its purpose. What I know is that there are some of you here this morning, and you're not saved. There's never been a moment that you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ because you have no real understanding of who the Lord Jesus is. 
you, you have this understanding from something you've heard from a parent or something you heard from a Sunday school teacher or something that you heard at some point, but you've never really understood from Scripture the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some of you here today and, and, and you, you think you're saved because there was a moment when you were a child, when you were a baby, that your parents did something for you. There, there are some of you here today and you think you're saved because you participated in baptism and you were immersed. You did the procedure right. But you never confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. You never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You've never been saved. I want you to know that can change this morning. Let me tell you who this Jesus is. Jesus is God. He did not get his beginning in Bethlehem. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus, God, chose to come to this earth and to become a man and to take on human form. And the way that he did that is that he was born of a virgin, fulfilling prophecies of the Old Testament, that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem, there in that stable, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies once again. His family taking him to Egypt to, to escape Herod's killing of all the young children, again, fulfilling prophecies. And this Jesus, who is God, that chose to become man, and the way he became man was being born of a virgin. He lived a sinless and perfect life on this world. He walked amongst people for 30 years before he began his earthly ministry. And people were able to touch him, and they were able to look at him, and they were able to understand him. And then for three and a half years, he made sure they really understood who he was as he began to proclaim to them, I'm the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. After being examined for three and a half years, he stands before the, the magistrates of Rome and the religious people of the day are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And the magistrates of the day are saying, why? I find no guile in this one. There's no sin. He's done nothing wrong. Why do you want to crucify him? Nevertheless, go do what you want to do. I wash my hands of him. The Bible tells us that they take him to the cross and they crucify him there. And while they're crucifying him, they don't realize what's happening. But at that moment, this Jesus, God that became man, became human form. At that moment, he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Voluntarily of his own accord on the cross, he took the wrath of all time for your sin and my sin. He bore that upon his shoulder to the point that he calls out to his heavenly father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken because he had your sin and my sin resting on his shoulder. And the blood that he was shedding was the blood that would pay for the remission or the penalty of that sin. The Bible says that he died on the cross that day. They took him to the tomb and he was buried, but he didn't stay there. Praise God, three days later, he rose again. Proof positive that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
And no one's going to come to the Father but by me. The fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 when he says, Satan, you may be causing problems into this world by introducing sin, but I'm going to crush your head on the cross when I come back to life. Because I have a desire to have a relationship with every human being. Ezekiel 33, 11 says that he doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. How do we come to repentance? We confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's not an act that someone else does for us. It's not, it's not an act that we take outside of confessing with our mouth, believing, admitting that we're a sinner and asking him to be the savior of our world. That's where some of you are this morning. This morning that can change. Seated right there where you are, you can ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you. We're about to sing a a song of praise together. And as we're singing that song, if this is a decision that you've never made, I'm going to invite you to make that decision. If you're not sure exactly what to do, I'm going to ask you to come visit with me. And we have folks that will take the Bible and we will share with you how to do that. As we've gone through this, if you're there and you're comfortable and you know where you are, right as we're singing this song, you right there, right now, can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you can ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior. So would you please stand to your feet with me right now? Father, we pray in this moment that each and every one of us will search our heart and that we'll be steadfast and sure of our relationship with you.